I know. This is uh, really how I'm getting you back every week, you know, to play these videos at the start of our service. And if you're a guest, just know we're doing this for the series uh, on being wise, stop doing dumb things. And, you know, I could show one of these videos, I think, every week for the rest of my time here at Twin Cities, however long it is, because there are so many dumb videos, okay? There's so many people out there that do dumb things and put them online, and we can watch those. So uh, good morning, everybody. Go ahead, if you would, grab your message notes. They look like this, and I want to draw your attention to them, pull them out. You can take some notes today. All the verses that we'll look at from the Bible will be here. Uh, we're looking at Proverbs. If you do have your Bible, you can open up to the middle. That's the book of Proverbs. It'll be a little bit hard to follow along today uh, because, as we said, Proverbs doesn't go, you know, kind of thought by thought. It's like God's Twitter feed, 140 characters or less, of just thoughts that he spits out and words of wisdom for us that we can look at. And we're looking thematically through this book. Um, and right at the top of the notes is our theme verse. Uh, and I want to just read that if we could. It'll be on the screens. I'm going to ask if you would read it out loud with me. Okay, ready, go. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. And so the idea of the series is this, is, you know, as I go through my life, uh, so many of us, and uh, me included, we get to a place where we look back and we say, well, you know what, I keep messing up, and so next time I'm going to do this differently. Next time I'll make some different choices. And the idea is this, is learn the wisdom so that when I'm in the process of life now, I make a different choice this time, not necessarily waiting till next time. And so we're looking at God's word and his wisdom, what he would say to us and how we could live our lives. And today we're going to talk about the concept of money and what Proverbs has to say about money. Now, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Proverbs was, I was just blown away when I started my study and how much it has to say about money. But you know, the Bible's not the only place where you can hear a lot about money. You can hear a lot about money from culture. You wear that? Culture talks about money all the time. In fact, just go to the songs that we write and songs we listen to, and you're going to hear lots of songs about money. So we just went out and we found some songs, uh, rock songs about money, and these will probably all, you'll know every one of these songs. Let's just listen to a few of them, okay? Money, Second service missed out. I totally forgot to do that second service, so they missed out. You guys are all caffeined up. I can see those heads bobbing, you know, and moving to the music. You're right there with me, okay? So I want to begin today with a question, okay? Begin with the question. Can money buy happiness? No, okay? I mean, you guys, you know, just because we're in church, you said that, right? <laughs> you knew that would be the right answer to say that. Can money buy happiness? Well, here's what actor Johnny Depp says about that question. He says, 
money doesn't buy you happiness, but it does buy you a yacht so you can sail right up next to it, okay? <laughs> you know, researchers are always trying to look at people and, you know, study us and why we do what we do. And uh, in this area of money and happiness, uh, they go to, you know, study people who've won the lottery. And so, they, you know, people who won these big jackpots, those kinds of things. You know, did you guys see the, the guy, that, the, the, the ticket, the $16 million that went unclaimed this week? back to the state of whatever it was, some other state like Illinois, went unclaimed this week. Can you imagine if you've just like found that now? <laughs> oh, like, okay, never mind. Okay, so, uh, so they studied these people who won the lottery and they looked at their, you know, studied their happiness before they won the lottery and then they compared it to after they won the lottery. And what they discovered is, is that lottery winners are not happier than non-lottery winners. Are you amazed by that? No, no, it's pro- you probably all expected that to be true, actually. In fact, the lottery winner group, uh, what they found out is they not only were not any happier than they were before, but many times they were actually less happy than they were before. And they found that they took significantly less pleasure from regular events that they had found pleasure in before, things like a sunset or a rich cup of coffee than they had before. Now, me, I love sunsets, and I love a sunset with a rich cup of espresso. So, you know, I'm thinking about that. I'm going, I'd hate to lose that joy that I get from that moment. What they're saying is, is that lottery winners actually lose the ability to have joy in those moments of life. Forbes magazine had an interesting article, said this, it's a fact that money doesn't buy happiness and surveys have been done. And so, you know, Forbes magazines puts out all these um, lists. And so the 400 wealthiest people on the world, and they surveyed these rich individuals, and they discovered that they were no more happy than the Maasai herdsmen of East Africa. So they kind of compared, you know, you got these ultra-rich people, these herdsmen in East Africa that have nothing, and they were no more happy with the money that they have. So the question, you know, does money buy happiness? Well, it actually depends on how you view money. The answer that actually depends on how you view money. People can be happy if they have money, and people can be happy if they don't have money. They can be happy in both places. The difference is that those who are happy have a view of money that sets them apart. Their view of money is what allows them to be happy, whether they have much or whether they have little, and it actually sets them apart. And so what we want to do today is we're going to look at some keys from Proverbs about understanding money, how to handle it. And, but look at this verse from Proverbs 21:20 that Mark read to us earlier. You know, I just love about Proverbs is I don't even have to explain a single verse. They all speak so clearly. I mean, it's amazing. Here, the wise have wealth and luxury, but the fools spend whatever they get, okay? So I just kind of you know, let you know where you might fit today uh, as you look at your life. And so I'm going to give you two keys, two major keys, and then some thoughts as we go on how to handle money. And the first major key is this. If I'm going to have money, handle money wisely, I must believe, and I'm going to call it the power of money. I must believe the power of money, the power that money has in my life, the power that money has to direct me even as I live my life. And so I'm going to give you five ways that Proverbs says that money has power. Uh, the first will be positive, and then the last four will be from the negative slant about what money, the power it has in our life. So the first positive, the only positive, the one we're going to look at first is that money has the power to bless. So right up front, money has the power to bless. Now, it may surprise you, right? You're like, here we are in church, and you're saying money's good, you know? And so, yeah, 
Yeah, money has the power to bless. Here's a few verses. Lots of them talk about this whole concept. Here's the first one. Proverbs 10, 4, lazy people are soon poor, hard workers get rich. You know, it's pretty clear. If you work hard, you're going to gain. And so, and that gain is good. There's nothing wrong with gain, just like there's nothing wrong with hard work. And so what the Proverbs, and if you read, you know, through the Proverbs, it basically says that diligence and discipline and character and integrity and effort and self-control and hard work, all of those lead to some level of prospering. I'm not going to call it prosperity because somebody get confused if I use that word, but some level of actually prospering. Proverbs 10:22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes the person rich and he has no sorrow with it. So right away, I mean, you see right there, it says God will bless people. God will bless people financially. And what I love about this is that when it says when God's been the one who blesses us, is that he says there will add, that God doesn't add sorrow with blessing. He adds joy with blessing when he brings it our way. And so you, you think about that and you think, well, okay, I, I know, Ron, that sometimes I've been blessed and there's been sorrow with it. And the reason there's sorrow with it is because you have regrets by how you got it, what you had to give up in order to attain it. Uh, the cost was so high, and so you end up with some kind of regrets. But what God, what the Bible's saying here is when God does bless you, there won't be regret with it because you did it His way. And He wants you to know the blessings that come from living life His way. Now, because honestly, riches, wealth, they're not intrinsically evil. You know, in the New Testament, it says that doesn't say that the love of money is the, is the root. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. So it's what I, how I long for it that ends up to make money be evil. Now, Tim Keller, and I did a, I, he's done a great uh, lot of writing on these Proverbs, and, uh, and I love this quote here. He says this. He says, it's important for us to remember that when God made the world and placed us in it, he put us here as stewards or managers of the good world he created. This is the key right here. And therefore, he blesses us with the riches we need in order to care for the world he made. Wow, that's so much different than the way we look at finances, right? And wealth and, and riches that they come away. He blesses us with the wealth we need in order to take care of the good creation he made. And I'll just add to the, crea- the creations he's placed on the earth. So he, put, he gives us blessing so that we will care for his creation. I, I love the term creation care. And that's the way that uh, many followers of Christ have done studies and trying to figure out, you know, as we are responsible, we are responsible for caring for the creation and the creations on it. So here's the deal. What that's teaching is, what Tim Keller's getting across, what I think would be the biblical approach to this is that when God gives you possessions, when God gives you wealth, when God gives you riches, he gives you those so that you now have the means to take care of his good world. Followers of Jesus Christ should be leading the way in the fight for our, you know, the world and for the people on the world that they would be cared for. Money has the power to bless. And we're going to come back to this now at the end of our time together today about how that blessing actually happens. But also, okay, let's look at some negative views of money. And so I'm going to list four of them. First of all, money has the power to corrupt. It has the power to corrupt. You guys know this. You in fact, if you go to any newspaper, probably every day of the week, there's some story of, of how someone's been corrupted by the desire for money, right? 
And so they get corrupted, whether it's a, you know, secretary at work and, you know, things get tight at home and all of a sudden she starts embezzling, uh, just pilfering from the, you know, checking account. And you see those stories, you see, you know, folks who made uh, false claims and then they were found out in some way. You see all these schemes. Uh, even with the Philippines, what's going on over there right now, immediately uh, there were scams out that people were, you know, trying to scam people to get money. Even with our wonderful Affordable, affordable Health Care Act uh, that is in place. <laughs> that even that, uh, there were, as soon as there were problems, there were people who were figuring out a way to scam you and to go onto these false websites and give them all your information. So you know, money causes us to, to, to lean toward being corrupted. It pulls it. It has the, the power to pull that direction. Look at this verse from Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate Weights. Would you circle the word detest there? Now, the reason I just circled that, because that word detests, remember Proverbs written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word that is translated in the New Living Translation there as detest, is one of the strongest words used to show God's displeasure, show, his God's, show God's displeasure, and it's usually used to show God's extreme displeasure at idolatry, sexual immorality, especially associated with idolatry, and with, in this case, being dishonest with money. Wow, you mean God would say being dishonest with money is equal to idolatry? He's used the same word, same feeling he has inside. He detests those who are dishonest. I'm gonna have to explain this. You know, it's kind of like the idea... Uh, that the, is, this verse is giving is that you've got this person and she's in business and so she's got some scales and she's selling grain and so people come to her and so she's changed the weight so that when you buy grain you actually get less grain than you paid for so that she makes more money. So that's what it's talking about here, the whole idea of corruption in this place. Money has the power to corrupt. Secondly, on this list, but third overall, money has the power to magnify self-absorption magnify self-absorption. Really hope I can get this across, this idea, uh, because, you know, really what we're saying here is that uh, I would just, you know, I'm going to get to this truth in a little while, but many of us are really self-absorbed and uh, we just don't know it. Some of us are self-absorbed and we know it. Uh, but what money has to do is magnif- it magnifies that, or it makes that pull stronger to live a self-absorbed life. So basically, look at this verse from Proverbs eleven twenty-six: People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. So here's the idea that the proverb is getting across. He's saying that there are those who have resources to help others, and in this case, it's talking about grain. They have resources so that they could actually use those to help others, but they hoard it for themselves, and either so that they can make sure they have enough to make it through the drought or through the you know, decline or whatever it is, that they had some bad crops. Everybody else is in need, but somehow they had these silos, and they were able to have these silos full of grain, and now it comes a time of need. And what it's saying is that the one that the Lord, that, that people curse, the one that's self-absorbed is the one that hoards the grain, and either doesn't 
allow it to be sold or holds it for a you know, later time where they can make a greater profit. And so what happens is, is you, it says that they bless the one who sells in time of need. So the one who sells in time of need, this is the one who says, I'm going to sell my grain at the going price. I'm not going to jack it up, you know, and we, you know, see when we have disasters, how people, when something happens, they jack up the price and make you pay like 40 bucks for a gallon of milk or something like that. But this person's one that says, this is what the price was before the disaster, and I'm charging the same price now, and I'm blessing people because I'm not looking out for myself. But the other person says, hey, you know what? I've got these silos of grain, and everybody else is in need, and, you know, just thinking out loud, thinking, okay, I think if I hold on to this, that let, let these other suckers sell all theirs for the price uh, that someone's willing to pay today, but I'm going to hold on to mine because I know I'll be able to get more later when everybody's out. Everybody's out of grain, and I'll be able to make more profit. Some of you are going, that sounds just like our American economy, right? <laughs> sounds just like our market system, right? Sounds a lot similar to the market system. But here's the deal. It's in, then what the Bible's saying here is saying the person who's not self-absorbed will say, I'm going to do what's best for the people who are in need. And so I'm going to sell my grain at a fair price. I'm still going to make my profit, which I always would have, but I'm just not going to make the exorbitant profit because I'm not going to live a self-absorbed life that it's all about me and what I can make. See, someone who's self-absorbed, especially in business, the bottom line of profit is the, is the, the profit is the bottom line. It's the most important thing. And so a personal profit. And this is saying, you know, blessed is the one who doesn't think about personal profit, but is willing to be thinking about other people. Proverbs 10, 16. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. So kind of the idea here is that, you know, as I'm going through life, is that I can live my life spending all my money on myself, you know, just waste, 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 get, 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 gain, gain, gain. I can do all that. And what it says here is I end up squandering my money, but the wise person, they enhance their lives by being wise with their spending as they go through life so they're not living that self-absorbed life that I've got to have this and I've got to have it today and no one's going to tell me I can't have that. So, you know, it's really, you know, kind of the truth. You know, you kind of, this is just, this is our human nature. I have a want that becomes a need. I have a want that becomes a need. I have an income level. And so I can afford that need. Well, as I'm starting to afford that need, well, now I have another want that becomes a need, but I don't have the income anymore. So now I have to go over here and I have to make more income. Now I have, I'm able to buy what I want and what I need. And all of a sudden I need more, but my income does. And so we just get caught up in this self-absorbed lifestyle of living for more and more ends up leading us to more stress, uh, more divorce, uh, more bankrupts, all, all the ways that you can look at it that more leads us to because we've lived a self-absorbed life. Okay, next idea is this. Money has the power to distract from what is important. To distract. Proverbs 11.4a says this. Riches won't help on the day of judgment. Just let that one soak in. Riches won't help on the day of judgment. So how do I get distracted? Well, when I get distracted, when I start living for things that aren't eternal. And thinking that things that aren't eternal are going to make me happy. 
and going to make me fulfilled. And so what it says here, riches are not going to help on the day of judgment. And so instead of living for, you know, asking myself the question, what can make me happy? And then what can I do to be, you know, what can I gain? What can I get in order to be happy or fulfilled in some way? And basically, I mean, yes, think about this for Christmas, okay? You think about this. You think about the gifts we buy. If you go into the stores right now and you walk down many of the aisles, they bring out all the things that they put there just so you can spend out of impulse, you know, you've got to have a gift, so you've got to buy, so you do it. And then you buy that gift because you had to buy a gift, because you had to give a gift, and then the person who gets it puts it in their next garage sale. <laughs> and it gets, you know, push, put on, but we get caught up in this whole thing to think, I've got to do this, or I've got to have this today. And we're giving ourselves, and we're, we're actually um, extending ourselves so far out there for things that, I'll just say this, the Bible are going to burn. They're just going to burn. And so what, we had, what, the, what we'd want to do is to live our lives this way, asking questions like this. What am I doing with my life? What difference am I making with what I've been given? Who am I really going to help this holiday season? Am I going to help my family with you know, things they you know, really don't need and maybe don't even want just so that I can say I fulfilled an obligation? And then I need to ask a question like this, thinking about you know, judgment. What contribution am I making? You know, what difference is, am I making with the wealth or the riches? And you know what? If you're in America, you've got riches, okay? With the wealth or riches that I've been given that would have an eternal impact. What happens is money distracts me from those questions. It distracts me, and I place my life and live my life for the temporal instead of the eternal. Okay, fifth, money has the power to puff up. Puff up. I didn't know how else to say it. This is called pride. And so there's a good pride and there's a not so good pride. We're talking about the not so good pride here, the kind that, you know, puffs you up to think, makes you think that you're the one that made this happen. You were the own, you know, you were the one who caused the results in your life. And so you get puffed up with that. Proverbs 38 says this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Isn't this a great, this is just a great prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. I know some of you pray that because you're way below meeting your needs, and so you pray, God, just give me enough to make my needs. But for some people, and I would say many people, is that they you know, really have more than enough to meet their needs. What if you started praying, God, give me just enough to make my needs, and God answered that prayer? Would you like to have a reduction? But that's what this person's saying. It goes on to say this, For if I go rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Now, that you know, phrase, who is the Lord, it's used another place in the Bible when Pharaoh's talking to Moses and he says, who is the Lord? And he's going, you know, I'm God, I'm Pharaoh, I'm God. Who is the Lord that you're talking to me about right here? And so what's saying there is that what happens is when we get rich, we say, who is the Lord? I'm God, I made my way, I did this, I'm puffed up, I'm big, I'm better as we go through this. And it says this, and if I am too poor on the flip side, if I'm too poor on the flip side, I might steal and thus insult God's holy name. So if you, look, if you watched um, Jean Valjean, if you watched uh, Les Miserables, you know, and you see what happened to Jean Valjean, and he you know, got all these years of prison just because he needed bread. And uh, the story is just tragic of what happened in his life. What, and so he's saying there, say, God, just give me enough so that I won't get too puffed up. That's where I want to talk about now uh, and believe that this is all about 
me. This person understands, it really understands the power of money and the inability for willpower, my power, to be able to overcome the power of money alone. Now, listen to this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He had this to say about our country. He says this, we have grown in wealth and success. We have grown in wealth and power, but intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God who made us. That was written by Abraham Lincoln in his day, but it could have been written by Billy Graham in our day. We're too proud to pray to the God who made us. Now, that can only be that can only be true of a nation if it's true of the citizens of that nation, right? And so we need to look at ourselves and think, you know, am I one who's popped up by what I've gotten, what I have? Uh, have I been able to do this because I'm so smart? Have I been able to get this because I'm so disciplined? Have I been, you know, have I been leaning on my own instincts? Have I been leaning on my own abilities so that it is really what I've been able to do to make this happen? One of the ancient fathers of the faith a monk named Bernard of Clairvaux said this, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. Greatest rarity. Why is that? Well, Proverbs gives us some insight. I want to kind of help us to, you know, walk through these next couple of verses to kind of give this a little more depth, okay? Proverbs ten fifteen says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortress. It could have been translated, the wealth of the rich is their fortress city. So in order to grasp this, you got to understand the culture, okay? So we have this culture, ancient culture, and uh, it was a war culture. So you've all, there was always the threat of enemies or the threat of war. And, uh, you know, there wasn't all the modern stuff that we have today. So when they would build their city, a place that they were going to you know, look for uh, a place that they could, you know, raise their families, they would look for a high hill or a high ridge. And so they'd go up on this high ridge till they would start building their city. You know, part of the reasoning is, is that if the enemies attacked them and they came at them first, they are higher so they can see further out. Secondly, it's harder to fight uphill than downhill. And so their enemies are trying to get up the hill to them. Then they would want to have the highest spot possible. So also what they would do is they would find the highest spot where they also had access to water. And then they would build these thick, high walls around their city. So thick, high walls that would help them to feel secure, uh, secure against their enemies, secure against marauders, secure against vigilantes, secure against uh, wild animals, uh, even, as I was reading this week, secure against high winds and sandstorms that might come their way because they would have these high walls. And I was just, as I was reading this, we were having the high wind stuff, you know, and the tree that fell over in Nevada City on someone's home and just kind of destroyed the whole thing. And uh, some folks died this week because a tree fell over their car down in the valley. And so you look at that. And so they were trying to build this city that would protect them from their enemies and from the elements, from their enemies and from the elements. And so the city gave them security, gave them security. Now, the other thing that the city did is it gave them significance. It gave them significance. Here's how. In order to live in the city, it was the most desirable place to be. Start thinking about where is the most desirable place to be that we would live, you know, in our culture. It was the most desirable place to be. And so it was, became more expensive to live there. 
And so you would move into the city. The poor people no longer could afford to live there because the price of housing, price of expenses had gone up. And so you would end up with people in the city who were significant, who had made their way. And the poor people had to live outside in the caves. And they had to live outside and scrounge their own way, even for food. And so what would happen is those who went into the city, all of a sudden, they're puffed up. They have security because of what they've been able to build. And they have significance because they have enough money to live there. Now, keep that in mind, and let's reread that verse, okay? Let's just reread that verse. The wealth of the rich is their fortress. Now, it doesn't say that the city is their fortress, right? It doesn't say that. It says the wealth of the rich is their fortress. So in other words, they are looking, he's saying, he's talking to people looking at their wealth for their security and significance. People looking to their wealth for security and significance in life, and that puffs them up. Then it goes on to say in Proverbs 18, the, who should be our fortress? The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense security, and they, and they imagine it to be a wall of safety. So what it's saying is, is that we look at our wealth the same way that the ancient people of the day looked at their city. And what happens is, if I do that, if I look at my wealth that way, it puffs me up, and I believe that what I've done has made me secure, and what I've done has made me significant. I don't know if we, how we could even still believe that today after the Great Recession, and what we saw, we saw so many people lose what had given them security, so many people lose what had given them significance. Many of you in this room have been through some dark times as a result of the recession that we've been in, but what happens is, is that even though we've been through that, we still buy into the lie. We still buy into the lie. So wealth puffs us up, and we feel important, and we feel better than others. We'll feel better than others. And so here's the kind of the insidious part of this whole thing and why I've brought us a long ways down the road just to kind of get to this spot, okay? What happens is, is that when I feel prideful and I believe that my security and my significance is because of what I've done, what happens is I start looking at other people, and so I look at someone else and I say, you know what? I'm better than that person who's below me economically. I'm better than them economically. And then what happens is I'm no longer just better than them economically when it becomes about me. I start saying in my mind, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. And God's warning us against our propensity to look at the blessings he's given us and then to label other people and make us in our minds feel that we're better than others. We're better than them. And we become our own gods. We become our own gods. So that's the deal. If I'm going to be wise, I have to believe that money has this power, has the power to bless, has the power to corrupt, has the power to uh, distract, it has the power to magnify self-absorption, has the power to puff up. So that's depressing. (laughs) What do I do about it? What do we do about it? Well, Proverbs talks to us about what to do about it. And so the second major point from Proverbs that we're going to look at today is that I, if I'm going to be wise with handling my money, I have to break the pull of money. I have to break the pull of money in my life. And I'm going to give you two ways to do that. Uh, and the two ways are this. First is this. I have to assume I'm in denial concerning my view of money. I just have to assume, if I'm an American, I'll just say it that way, 
I have to assume I'm in denial concerning my view of money. Just assume it. If you can assume right away that you're in denial about this, then you are now open to what God wants to say. Just first of all, assume it. Look what it says in Proverbs 16, too. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. The Lord examines their motives. When Jesus was on earth, and he would walk around and teach, uh, there was a phrase that Jesus used three times in three different places. And the phrase he used is this. Watch out! Watch out! So he's got your attention, right? And then he would say, watch out for greed. Really? Jesus walk around and yell out, watch out for greed? And, and what's amazing about this is what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't walk around saying, watch out for adultery. Watch out for murder. Now, you would think that that would be what Jesus would be concerned about, right? But here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knows that we have the power to deceive ourselves. And so what he was saying was, he, was, he, he didn't have to go around and say, watch out for adultery, because if you're in an adulterous affair, you don't just kind of come to your senses and go, oh, you're not my wife. <laughs> right? If you want to kill somebody and you've got the knife and you're about ready to put it right into them, you don't say, oh, what am I doing? I'm just about to kill you. I'm just about to commit murder. You don't do that at all. But what Jesus says is with greed, greed is so insidious that we don't even see that we're about to do it. And so he wants us to be aware that we need to watch out because it's in our nature to be greedy. He warns about the power of greed in our lives because nobody thinks they're greedy. Okay, next way is this. I break the pull of money by practicing generosity. By practicing generosity. So we started with the question, does money make you happy? Okay, we started with that question. We all said no. There's all kinds of ways that we look at it to say that money doesn't make us happy except, except for a truth called the benevolence factor called the benevolence factors. I mean, the label that's been given to us by, given to it by sociologists. And here's a quote. Money can't buy you happiness, but the latest research shows that it can if you spend it on someone else. It can if you spend it on someone else. The benevolence factor or benevolence effect. So here we go. The more you give the happier you are, and it's measurable. The more you give, the happier you are. Folks, money has the power to make us happy when we give it away. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are blessed to bless. Hoarding and consuming will actually lead to depression and sadness and regret. But when I give away what I have, even if I have very little, I am blessed because I was able to bless someone else. I receive the blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now look at these verses from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 
Paul is writing, and he says this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Plenty left over to share with others. So what the Bible's teaching here is that God calls us to look at every dollar we have and realize that we begin responsibility to manage it. And the management he wants from us is that we would look at our resources as a way to care for his creation and the ones he's created on the world. That's what he's asking us to do, to give away and to help to care for his creation and to care for the ones he has created. Now, here's the deal. What this is talking about here is he says, if I have a handful of seeds and I close my hand over this handful of seeds and somehow I'm able to walk around for a year without opening my hands and I have this handful of seeds, if I open these handful of seeds a year later, what will I have? A handful of seeds. That's all I have. Same handful of seeds I started with a year before. But what God's teaching here is if I take those, that handful of seeds and I till some ground, some soil, and put those seeds in the soil, that a year later, I won't have a handful of seeds. I'm going to have a crop. I'm going to have fruit. I'm going to have abundance of fruit and more seeds to plant so that there can be more blessings that come my way. And that's what God wants us to understand. We live with scarcity. I, I, I'm talking to me here. We live with scarcity. Oh, I, this was so hard to come by, and I don't really know if I have enough because that person over there has more than I have, and that, oh, they're getting this, and boy, they have that new TV, and if I give away my, I'm not going to get that, or I can't take that trip, or I'm not going to send my kids to this, whatever it happens to be. And so clamp my hand over those seeds because these are my security and my significance. And what God wants me to do instead is to plant my seeds so that he can bless me so that I can bless his creation. Now, the greatest example we have of this is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came from heaven, gave up the riches of heaven, came down to earth and walked on our planet. Let's just say he's the seed. Came here as God's seed he lived his life. He died. He was put into the ground. He was resurrected from the grave. He came back to life. And because he died, that now millions and millions and millions and billions of people are able to become the fruit of his death. And the fruit of his death is they can become the children of God, children of the Most High King. The greatest example. I didn't put this verse on your notes. 2 Corinthians 8 9. You want to write that reference down. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, talking about what we just said. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what Paul's saying, and what I just think I just got, is that he's saying that 
Jesus Christ is the source of your significance and your security. And he's saying that when you treasure the temporal, that you are not being like Jesus Christ, who wants us to give away that others can be blessed. Bow your heads and let's pray. Oh, God, I can't believe it took me three services to get it. Uh, totally. But I thank you. I just know what you spoke in my life, and I know that you've spoken to all of us. I know the power of your word. And so I want to pray now. I just want to lead in prayer. There are those in the room I know that have never received that gift from Jesus Christ. Uh, they've said no for many various reasons. Maybe it was just never the right timing, or they didn't feel they had the right answers. But Jesus died that you could have life. And he wants to give it to you today. And so if you wanted to, you can pray with me. Just write in your mind. You don't even need to say this out loud. You can say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I give my life fully to you today. I come to you because I know that you came from heaven. You died on the cross for me. You took the punishment that I deserved. And... Your blood made it possible for me to be in a relationship with a holy God. And Jesus, I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. And I want to live the rest of my days blessing others with what I've been blessed. And God, I think that's my prayer. I just want to live my life blessing others with what you've blessed me to have. Help me to become generous, not fearful but generous, wise and generous. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.